Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 11. Hello, and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me, as always, is Sandy McKay. How are you doing, Sandy? Hey, Rob. I'm doing fantastic, as always, and uh, happy to be here sharing some, hopefully some really good wisdom and, and knowledge and tips with everybody again. We've got a great interview coming up, so I'm excited about that. Yep, and- fantastic interview, as always. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. They just keep getting better every time. (laughs) That's what it seems like. eh? That's what it seems like. So that's coming up in just a couple minutes here. Right now, we've also got our free gift for everyone out there called the 7 Freedom Activators You Can Trigger in Your Property Right Now. And that's all about creating more freedom for yourself as a real estate investor and making your business more efficient and profitable. So this is pretty exciting. We have a new segment today, Sandy. Something that I think everyone's going to enjoy. Uh, we went to our good friend, Michael Dominguez, who was our interviewee on episode four. And we asked him if he would be interested in sharing some of his knowledge on a more regular basis. And we came up with the idea of sort of like a quick tip that he could share with us. I think it's going to be really valuable. Yeah, it is. He's got some great stuff. And everyone should go check out his our interview with him on episode four or two, we shared some really good, uh, really good knowledge, especially on like investing for, I guess, new newer investors and people looking to to really get into it and just how they can get started and what type of properties they should be looking for. It was a really great interview. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to this uh, new new segment. So here it is, Michael Dominguez with the Michael Minute. We've all heard the expression in real estate, the three most important things to consider when buying a piece of property is location, location, location. Well, investment real estate is really no different. And what I mean by that is you're looking for a property that meets the right fundamentals. Now, when I'm referring to fundamentals, I'm talking about in your particular area, is there population growth? Is there job growth? Is there quality transit close by? Is there shopping in the area? What I'd like you to do is to check out the website walkscore.com. Now I realize that not everybody is going to uh, understand and know where that website is, uh, but t- would give you an indication of what how the tenants actually think. And what I mean by that is they rank it based on how walkable the property is. and That is, in many cases, where the tenants want to be. Remember, you're not buying a property for yourself. And what I mean by that is that four-bedroom subdivision home on a quiet street might be exactly where you want to be, but that's not exactly where the tenants want to be. So if you're looking for above-market rents, low vacancy, you want to choose a property where the tenants want to live. Now, these properties, in many cases, might cost a little bit more. But at the end of the day, and when I mean that, I mean the first day of the month, you'll be very happy that you made that decision. This is Michael Dominguez with Michael Minute. That was great, eh, Sandy? Awesome. So I think that one's going to catch on, definitely. I'm looking forward to uh, a lot more of those. Yeah, no, it's terrific. Love his stuff and love what he brings to the table. So let's, let's keep those going. Let's get him in here more often. Yeah, he's doing it for free too, so why the heck not, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're doing this all for free too, you know, basically. So, well, we are, yeah. yeah. For the lo- well, actually, we're getting a lot of knowledge for free. That's well, that's true. Doing. That's true. Hopefully, we're sharing something decent too for everyone. So, Sandy, you are. If I'm not mistaken, you're still laying out in the sun by your pool, listening to this new Vho Bluetooth speaker that we were talking about on the last episode that we're giving away. Isn't that right? Well, I'm here right now. At least I got my uh, I got a cold beverage sitting beside me. I'm just soaking up the sun. I'm listening to this nice crisp sound. I'm listening to the the speakers that we got to give away. 
And, you listen uh, to yourself back in the speaker? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, exactly. I, I have our, our episodes on repeat. So I just kind of <laughs> bake here in the sun, and uh, it's awesome. I can, I can listen to them. You know, I don't have any headphones on. I like that. I used to listen to all, them all over um, on the headphones. Now I just chill, and I listen to them out loud. It's awesome. So I'm kind of disappointed, you know, we're giving this uh, speaker away. It's going to ruin my, my days here now, and I'm going to actually have to go out and, and start working, doing some real estate business. You'll leave your tanning spot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so. too bad. You know, the vacation is almost over for you. But there is still some time left to enter yourself into this draw for this cool uh, speaker that we're talking about here. It's a VHO wireless Bluetooth speaker. It's a 360 M5 model. And like I mentioned on the last episode, all you have to do is, to get in on this contest is write us a review on iTunes. Hopefully it's a good one. And then uh, just drop us an email to info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca so that we are able to get in touch with you. And in the subject line, just write, I reviewed it, and give us your iTunes name so that we all be able to match yours up with your review and get back to you. And we're going to leave that open till August 15th. So anyone who writes us a review by August 15th, they'll be entered automatically into the, well, Assuming that they send us the email, they'll be uh, entered into the draw. And yeah, you'll be able to do what Sandy's doing, just chilling and listening to Breakthrough REI podcast and sipping a beverage. So that'll be sweet. And they can, you know, they can host parties with it, do whatever. It's got some other uses if they want to. I don't know why they would, but. So we're going to announce that on the September 1st episode, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw out a link too for the the prize in the show notes and yeah, you can go there and check it out for yourself. Yeah, that sounds good. I think everyone will really like it. So let's get down to our interview with Andrew Brennan. Uh, like we said before, it's an awesome interview coming up here. Uh, Andrew's going to share with us the value of joint venture partnerships and how to attract investors for your deals. He's going to share with us the ins and outs of renovating rental properties and he's going to talk about why he doesn't get out of bed for less than a 30% return on investment and how you can set yourself up to do the exact same. It was a really exciting, very informative interview. I loved it. And I know everyone else will too. So here it is, our interview with Andrew Brennan. We are very happy to have Andrew Brennan on the show. Today, author of The Ultimate Wealth Strategy, your complete guide to buying, fixing, refinancing, and renting real estate. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us today, Andrew. It's my pleasure. Yeah, great to have you, Andrew. For the listeners out there, Andrew Brennan is a multiple award-winning investor, a skilled renovator, and real estate investor educator. He has offered his experience to others through seminars, uh, coaching, television, radio, uh, public appearances and in real estate magazines and now uh, in some podcasting now too. And Andrew owns a large real estate portfolio in the Barrie, Ontario area. He specializes in working with joint venture partners to offer hands-off investment opportunities and is the author of The Ultimate Wealth Strategy, which we'll talk about more in the show, I'm sure. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Andrew, or how does that sound? No, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think you got it all covered. Okay, so again, uh, this may be the typical. Um, I've noticed that the, the thing about this first question is like it's always, it seems like a boring question, but yeah. the thing is, you never get anywhere near close to the same answer from anybody. So, how did you get started in real estate investing? Our actual first investment property was the home that my wife owned. So, at one point, probably you know six or eight years ago. We were looking at selling both of our properties to buy one larger properties to blend our families together. And a friend of hers is also an agent advised us not to sell it and to rent it out. Once I sat down, took a look at the figures, it made uh, perfect sense just to hold on to it and rent it out. So that became our first one. And shortly after that, we just tried to buy as many as we could. You do a lot of uh, joint venture partnerships. And we're going to talk about that here a little bit for the first bit of the interview. And so what are you looking for in a joint venture partner? Who, who would your ideal partner be? Well, 
you know, things change along the way. But as of today, I would say my ideal partner would be someone that can do multiple transactions. Mm -hmm. Someone that, you know, doesn't want to be totally hands off, but doesn't want to be really involved in the day to day. You know, so we're looking for people that are busy professionals, perhaps young families don't have free time but realize that uh, they should be getting better returns on their uh, investments. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we target those types of individuals. So how do you go about targeting them, I guess, or how would you draw somebody in? How would they find you? To be honest, most of the time it's referral. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you talk to enough friends and family, I do pay a referral fee. So if you talk to enough friends and family and let them know, what you're looking for, offering them an incentive of a referral fee. Sooner or later, enough people will be interested, and it's just a matter of trying to close on those individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, other other people do things like marketing. I always recommend you at least should have a website. So even a simple website, you know, you can just copy something or uh, buy a prepackaged template and just alter it to your personal information. But it adds a little bit of credibility. And to me, going out to try and find cold leads is very challenging mm -hmm. in this business. Mm -hmm. So has that changed what you look for in a partner like now compared to, say, when you first got started? Well, when I first got started, I guess I wasn't really sure what the ideal partner would be. So, you know, and often you're just – you know, really trying to find someone that's going to invest with you. So yeah. you're a lot less selective. So as things change, you, you probably want things that are being easier, people with more funds, just so you're spending more quality time on the things that you're doing. What was your first joint venture deal? How did it work out? How did, how did you maybe find the, the partner? How did you organize it all? Okay, so we still own the first one. It's a uh, it's a nice duplex in Collingwood. It was on the MLS, mm -hmm. and at the time, we when my wife and I started investing, we had I think seven properties before we started looking for joint venture money. So at the time, it was on the MLS fixer upper. Thought it was a good deal. Had a neighbor and a, a friend that uh, owned a couple of properties. He used to you know come around hear me talking about real estate. He had a couple of properties, but he's a police detective, two young kids, really didn't have time. So I approached him and, um, you know, together we did the deal and it's been great ever since. So in your partnerships, is it set up basically, your partners, are they putting in all of the money and you're doing what exactly? What are you bringing to the table? It varies. So the partners do put in all the money mm -hmm. and depending on the property and it also depends on when I actually did it. Today, I do less than I did in the past because today I'm kind of in demand instead of me trying to find somebody. Mm -hmm. But it could be anything from some of our properties have professional management. Some of them don't. Some of them have agreements where uh, my company will do the maintenance. Some of them don't. Some of them have agreements, mostly the older ones, that my company would do the maintenance and the management. But it can be whatever you want, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, often when you're starting out, you're more likely to either take, a say, a lower percentage of the overall profit or do more work to get the equal share. But then things change, right? There's no, there's no set structure. Got it. Yeah, but generally most time uh, you're the one that finds the property, finds the deal, and, and you would be the one who would organize all of the work that needed to be done if there was any. Yeah, yeah. Right? so as, sorry, as, as a setup of a property, yes, usually it would be the investor finding the opportunity, working with uh, at least being the point of contact with the mortgage broker or the bank, the lawyer, all those things. Those all get set up. Um, lots of legwork up front, but going forward, then it can be, you know, a mixed combination. Mm -hmm. How do you actually find deals then? So you're, you're finding the deals generally yourself, right? 
how do you look at them? How do you evaluate them? Like, what do you consider a, a good deal for an investor to come in on with you? Well, I always tell people that I don't get out of bed unless I think it's going to make 30% on average per year. So mm -hmm. that being said, it has to make at least 30%. It has to be in a certain area because I, I go from roughly Collingwood all the way out to Aurelia. So I don't look at stuff in, say, Hamilton or Toronto or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do find deals, but people also come to me. So, and then what happens is you establish a relationship with people. And I have several people that have bought multiple properties off. So as they trans transition in and out of their portfolio, they're looking to maybe um, dispose of some properties. So you do private sales like that. I right. do find them on the MLS. I do use an agent. Um, so he finds me opportunities as well, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you gotta be using multiple strategies. I don't do like, I buy houses, signs and stuff like that. Just, I just really haven't needed to. Okay. And so that comes down to what networking, getting to know people in the business, that type of thing. Like how would other people, how would other people best set themselves up to, to have deals coming at them as you, as you say you do? Well, the one thing you need to do is you need to get out and network. So the more meetings you attend, for example, you know, local club meetings, whether it be a, a national um, membership like Rain, the more people you interact with, the more opportunities you have to tell people what you're doing, what you're looking for. And sooner or later, if you talk to enough people, something's going to come from it. Okay, now so – so your agent comes to you, they call you on the phone and say, I've, I've got a, you know, a home run for you. And so then you say, yeah, right. Okay. I'll see about that. And then you go down and look at it. So what, what kind of things are you looking for? How do you actually evaluate that deal? Well, it depends on the type of property. I do two strategies, right? So I do a lot of vendor take backs and I do fix and refis. So if it's a fix and refi, you know, you need to, Try and figure out how much you want to net out in, say, sweat equity or profit. Work your numbers back from there. So you need to figure out what the value is going to be, how much you're going to fix or, sorry, spend on repairs, what kind of profit you want for your time and efforts, and then that you come up with the purchase price. If that looks good and then it's still profitable as a buy and hold, so when I say that, I mean still cash flows a decent amount, mm -hmm. then that's a property you pursue. You know, I, I tell people that there's never a bad price. Or sorry, there's never a bad property. It's just the price is right for the property condition. Right. So, I mean, that's very vague. But as long as you kind of have an idea of what you're doing, you can create the, the, the good deal. And you'll you stick with your numbers and your goals and you'll be fine. Lots of times we go out there and, you know, we had hopes of, say, adding another bedroom or being able to do this and it just doesn't happen. So you just move on to the next one. Yeah. Sometimes you go out there a little bit leery and think, oh, I can do this, this, and this. And it, all of a sudden, what you thought was going to be a single or, or double turns into a home run. Mm. Well, the thing I really liked about your strategy is I, I took your course last winter. I think it was last January, actually. Um, and what surprised me was that was that you're able to make a deal out of something that I wouldn't have thought was a deal. Like You're really only looking for... 10 like with this strategy you can make a deal work as long as it cash flows at like you know 10 or 15 percent below market value on the property which really surprised me it really it really comes down to when you're doing a fix and refi you have to keep a few things in mind you don't want to get emotionally attached to the fixtures and finishes of the property this is a rental okay so the things that you're going to have in your personal home you're not going to spend for on a rental you also have to understand which materials are, say, durable but cost-effective. Mm -hmm. And then it's also the ability to manage a budget and the labor um, expense. Mm -hmm. Then time, time frame can really you know, make a difference. So you need something that's uh, fairly quick to do. Once you get uh, experience and do a few of them, you'll, you'll be surprised how easy you can pull them off. I mean, it's not, it's not hard to find a property that's, you know, perhaps 80 to 85% of the potential finished uh, or future price after re uh, repairs. It's just people get 
sometimes too concerned about how much work they think there is, and there's really not that much work at all. Paint, I tell people paint and flooring does wonders. A few other miscellaneous uh, strategic things, and you can, you know, for a low budget, turn something into a, a, a nice rental. Mm-hmm. What would be the time horizon for your investment with your joint venture partner? So, okay, so you're referring to how long we would hold the property. It it really depends. You know, I have some that, you know, traditionally there'll be, say, a five-year deal. Some are three. I've had, you know, some properties that are three-year deals, but we've held them for five years. So it really depends. I mean, you know, if everything goes as planned, most of the time you don't necessarily need to get rid of the asset. So mm-hmm. you just keep you just keep on going. Is that a, is that a strategy that you've been working with though? Turn and keep on constantly turning them over because that's a good one. By the time, you know, after about five years, then you're constantly turning over properties, constantly bringing in like that nice chunk of change. Uh, it sounds like a a pretty good way to go. I've only sold half a property since I've been in this business. Okay. So then what happens when your investor wants out? Nobody has come to me and asked to get out. They just, (laughs) they just keep letting it ride for a lack of better term okay so you wouldn't say your signed contract with them or uh which is how you do it i guess you come up with the deal and the terms and all of that so one of your things would be in there that you know in five years we'll go through again and sign again it depends some of them just say that the agreement will stay in effect until a new like so it might be a three-year or five-year but the agreement will stay in effect until a new term is entered into or a new or new agreement some of them will have, once the time frame's up, write a first refusal. So, you know, three years has gone by. I want to sell. So I may go to the other partner and say, listen, I want to sell. You've got 60 days to uh, let me know if you want to buy me out. If not, we'll go into the market. Uh-huh. But but it just hasn't happened yet. You know, there's, there's things like, you know, you can put in more hard terms, like a shotgun clause or we will sell when a, a certain percentage of appreciation is achieved. To me, you know, I, I don't put in those firm conditions. I just rather have a, a relationship. And if someone came to me and said that, you know, we need to sell or I need to sell, then, okay, let's work our way through that. Or if it's, you know, let's hold on to it, then let's hold on to it. Right? There's no, there's no reason to get rid of a, a good property. So what, is, what does an investor say? If you're sitting down with someone for the first time and you're kind of saying, yeah, we offer investment where you're going to get a return of, I don't know what you would promise them, but you're probably saying something like a minimum of 30% annual return, right? Well, uh, what, I would say they would share 30% right. as a minimum. Right. But you never you never want to promise or guarantee. Right. But you, you let them know that these are the types of properties I invest in and our goal is to achieve this. And what are they, what, like, they got to be pretty excited when you're mentioning that type of number. Like, that's a very high number compared to what, most investments offer right yeah and it's funny because i've lost opportunities or i guess joint venture partners because i've had a particular opportunity that may produce say a hundred percent using the strategy and they don't believe you so they don't do it right? <laughs> right so in reality i could find opportunities with less return and more people believe it and are more likely to do it. Because using the using the buy, fix, and refinance strategy, we've got properties that produce over 100% per year. Yeah, I can believe right? that. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not hard to do. We got one right now. You know, We've owned it for two months, and we should be getting every single dollar back in probably two or three weeks. Right. And we'll still, we'll, we'll still own a cash-flowing triplex. So on the refinance, you're pulling out everything that you've put in pretty much. Uh, we're hoping to get ten grand plus the everything. So yeah. this this particular one, we had to pay cash. So the investor put in uh, two hundred three thousand, but we're hoping to get about two fifteen back from the bank. Awesome, that is incredible. Yeah. Now those don't happen every day, but I mean, obviously that's a return on investment greater than one hundred percent ongoing because you can't even calculate it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's infinite. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you estimate repair costs then? I, it's quite a bit different than than estimating for a retail flip. And that's one of the things that it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge if you don't have experience. 
and you know, some people try and do it themselves or a portion of it themselves. Some people want to do it all themselves. Some people want to do nothing. So if you're doing a fix and refi and you're going to, let's say, have contractors do it all, there's a few things you can do to keep the cost down. One would be, say, buy your own materials because contractors sometimes don't realize, you know, they should be using different materials for rentals because a lot of them don't do rentals. They just do, say, people's personal homes. And sometimes they also add um, markup on them. Okay. You should be getting multiple quotes. And I wouldn't, you know, things like you don't necessarily need a plumber to do all the plumbing. You know, 90% of the plumbing stuff can be done by a regular handyman. Okay. Things like perhaps penalties for not finishing on time. So they're, they're, you know, they're not going over budget and time frame. A lot of times people can do some of the minor stuff themselves to keep the cost down. So maybe a painter. And the other thing is you may not want your handyman to be the painter. You know, your handyman may be charging you say 30, 40 bucks an hour and he paints at half the speed a full-time painter does. Right. <laughs> so, it's, and that's, you know, not everybody has all those different types of connections Right. So that comes back to, again, getting out there, networking with people, asking for referrals. Yeah. Right. If you're just going to go to one contractor, say, I want everything done. You use the materials that you or here's say kind of what I want for materials. You're going to end up with a with a much higher bill than if you were maybe acting as, you know, a say a, a general contractor yourself, just managing the trades. Right. Well, just out of curiosity here, then let's use a roof for example. If you have you're calling around and and you say I want to get this roof done, and they come back to you with estimates, there's there's going to be like how do you just how do you differentiate between the one that's cheaper because their labor's cheaper, or they're cheaper because their materials are cheaper, or or both? Well, well what you can do is write up a scope of work. So, for example, your roofing scenario. I think code is three feet of ice buildup protection. Some roofers use six. So right there, there's, there could be a, a difference between, you know, the cost because you've got extra materials and a little bit extra labor to put down the second layer, right? Mm. One thing that they may do or may not do is, you know, they might charge you the actual fee for disposal as opposed to a flat fee for disposal that they charge everybody, right? Mm. They may charge you additional fee for a bin or they may have their own uh, bin or I guess usually what they call it a dump trailer to remove shingles right so if you have a scope of work that says you will provide 25 year life shingles this color ice protection here valley uh, valleys uh, aluminum in the valleys and you will remove all material and then ask for your quote right so that way you can compare them mm-hmm Okay. And if, if there's a difference, you know, then you got to ask, okay, is this, you know, if there's a great difference, then you got to ask, okay, something's not right here because usually they're the same or usually you get a couple of them rel relatively the same. And, and I mean, I guess one idea is you could get them to, to itemize that, that estimate too. Could you not? You could say like, what is the cost of the shingles and then what is the cost of the labor or I, I'm just trying to figure you, out, figure out different ways of, of doing this for myself because I just recently came across that, that exact problem. Obviously it was with the, with the roofing yeah. and, and you don't know if they're just using these crummy shingles that they're just throwing on there and then they're no good. Well, so, yeah. like for a roofing example, a lot of roofers will charge by the bundle. So they might charge you so much uh, per tear-off. So this is what we charge for the tear-off in labor, right? This is what we charge to install per bundle. And you can even supply the material. So, you, you know, one of the strategies I like to do is, you know, if you use the um, deferred payment cards when you're doing uh, fix and refis, yeah. you can call up your local supplier, you know, big box store, and have the shingles and materials delivered, and they're just going to charge you so many dollars per square footage, sorry, per bundle installed. So it's very easy to then compare one quote to another mm -hmm. when they're all charging, you know, per bundle, right? When you get into some of the other stuff that's a little more, you know, complicated. So, you know, how do you charge for um, 
you know, general renovations as you uh, demolish things and, and put them back, right? You can't because you never know what's coming up, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you start with a scope of work and you try and be as specific as possible when you hand something over to the contractor to quote, you're more likely to get a more realistic price that you expect to pay to what you end up paying. And do you have some kind of a, um, like a spreadsheet or something that you use for that as you go through, you know, floors, this needs to be done, this color, this type of flooring? I, I standardize on everything. So, you know, we probably put in this year 200 cases of the same tile, exact same tile. We buy two colors of paint. We, we, for flooring, like we buy an allure or a laminate, we will fluctuate in color just based on if there's a color on sale. But a lot of the stuff, you know, it's left over and it's half used. You can't take it back. You, you lug it to the next job, right? Yeah. You know, for paint, for example, if you paint every single place the same color, you always know what color to bring when you need touch-ups. Yeah. That's right. Right? So, you know, once you keep using the same materials, you'll get an idea of what they cost. But even people that are new, you know, you can go down to Home Depot with a, a list of what you think you need and just go walk around and, and mark down the prices and create your own sheet. You know, because if you're, if you're doing a, um, a project and you need so many square footage of flooring, well, you, you know, it's a simple calculation. Here's the price. Add some tax. Multiply by how much I need. There's that, right? And as long as you allow, you know, you're always going to have to have miscellaneous amounts because, you, you know, you're going to spend money on screws, caulking, and uh, cleaning supplies. Those things always kind of get overlooked, so you always need an amount for that. But a lot of people, you know, you can you can do a decent job of budgeting it. Myself, I usually just kind of eyeball it now. I walk into a property and I have a general idea of how much I'm going to spend. And I'm usually, you know, within 10%. Uh -huh. right? But that, you know, that comes with experience. I used to sit down and figure it all out, you know, down to the last couple of bucks. Hmm. Um, if you're doing renovations then on a property, for instance, in a, in a partnership situation and you're actually doing – I know you, you do or you used to do it, certainly, a lot of renovations yourself. Would you then, would you be actually paying yourself in that situation? Like, would you be charging um, the partner or the investor, I guess, on your time in that? Or is that just something that you add as a, an added value to the relationship? Both. So sometimes, you know, for example, the property we're doing right now, I had a contractor lined up to do it and they got too busy. So I have my guys doing it, but they're not as skilled as I am. So I have to go over occasionally and do some of the more sophisticated stuff. So I pay myself. Now, I pay myself, you know, less than market value that I would get for myself with my skill. But I still, you know, do get something. In the past, I would, um, you know, as I wanted to build my business, I would do those things for, for no cost. Yeah. Okay. So, now, what about running the renovation now? Do you pay yourself for that? Most, um, no, not really. Because if I just show up to look at something, you know, I, I, it might, I might show up for 20 minutes or whatever, which I really want to do anyways as an investor. Yeah. Even if I didn't know what I was doing, I still want to go and check on my contractor to see how things are going. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I go out there and I look at things and say, okay, this doesn't look right, things like that. I'd be doing those things anyways, even if I didn't have the skill that I have, right? Because it's not hard to say, okay, well, no, that was supposed to be painted this color. Those lights are wrong, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm just dropping by and checking on progress, then I, I don't I don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, any anybody can have whatever they want as far as an agreement. As long as you're living by your agreement that you have with your joint venture partner, then that's fine. So you jumped into being a full-time real estate investor pretty quickly. I guess that this is more for selfish reasons that I'm asking this question is yeah. how, how do I get myself out of my job? Like, is that what you did? You just went in and you did the work and you paid yourself to do that. And that was how you afforded to get yourself out of, out of your, you know, J-O-B. No, I actually got downsized. Oh, so okay. back in 2009, <laughs> I used to be a, an executive for a company. 
And, um, you know, so back when the economy wasn't as good, people were making cuts. So I got downsized and I, I hummed and hawed and um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I just decided to give uh, full-time investing a shot and, you know, worked hard. But if you stick with it long enough, you'll, uh, you'll be able to do it. And, you know, I, I, I would highly recommend that someone has a plan that they're going to give up their job because it really adds a lot of complication as far as you know, qualifying for mortgages, getting extra cash. And that's one of the reasons why I switched to joint venture is because I no longer had a job. So, you know, without a very good portfolio you're, and paying yourself a salary from that portfolio, you're not going to get financing from the bank. So then that's when you go out and you look for a joint venture money. And my joint venture partners, you know, 95% of the time, they're on title by themselves or maybe their wife or whatever, but or husband. Um, but I, I try and stay off title. Cool. So uh, obviously that would, have, that would have been a big shift for you. Did, I'm sure you had a lot of failures along the way. Obviously a lot of success too, but maybe tell us about a failure or two of them that you've that really stick out in your mind that helped you and, and how you were able to overcome, overcome that? You know, I can't say I have any failures. I mean, we still own every property, so they all make money. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenges would be... Well, challenge is a better word. Not, not okay. really failure, but challenges. Yeah. The, the biggest challenge, I have one particular property, which, you know, it just seems it's an ongoing nightmare. You know, we bought it. It was a little sign in the window and... I was driving by this house going to another house I was renovating down the street that we just bought. So I ended up buying this one. It was empty. needed work. We did all the work, you know, got it, tenanted it and stuff like that. Three days into it being tenanted. So we got uh, two units now tenanted. Problem with the drain line. So um, there's a, the drain wouldn't drain. So we, we ended up after spending, you know, roof, all the cosmetic renovations. We ended up having to spend an unplanned twenty five hundred bucks, I think it was, to put in a uh, a pit and pump to push sewage down the line. <laughs> then shortly after that, we had an issue with the chimney liner collapse, which led to CO gas not escaping the apartment, which led to a TSSA investigation and stuff like that. But, but we had all our due diligence and things so we were fine then it was you know the air conditioner went and then it was one of the coin laundry machines you know one thing after another but we stuck through it and you know the, the, the property probably produces six or seven hundred dollars a month in cash flow so working our way through all those challenges definitely paid off right but as far as a failure no frustrating yeah success still yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a, a couple that remind me a lot of what you just said, unfortunately. But they still do okay, but they're just a gigantic pain in the ass a lot of times. Well, that's the thing. you know. A lot of times the the properties you're going to buy, which are run down, especially if they're multifamily, you know, they're usually a headache in the beginning. Between the current tenant profile, the condition of the property, trying to get things streamlined – you know, sometimes it takes a year to normalize stuff, right? You know, the other landlord may have been, um, you know, for lack of better wording, considered the slumlord type and didn't do anything. And that's the tenant profile that they have. And it, you know, causes frustration to you, right? Sometimes you got to re-educate the tenants. Sometimes you just have to pay them to leave and start over, right? With a nice, clean, fresh unit. Okay, well, you might have already answered this, but what was your aha moment with real estate investing? Was it that first property? Yeah, without a doubt. Once I sat down and figured out, you know, how profitable it can be over the long run. And, you know, when I was doing my calculations, I was just looking at a traditional buy and hold. I had no idea about things like vendor take backs and doing refis and and, uh, all that stuff. So I was just looking at, you know, long term growth on a traditional buy and hold. And that was when I decided, you know, this is something we want to do. And um, within, I think, 18 months, we had about seven properties. That's pretty amazing. And so, and those were all financed just through banks 
right? Like the, the, those were all no joint venture deals on those ones, yeah. right? Yeah, and that you know that was before you need a twenty percent down. So we did one that was say one hundred percent financing. One was twenty percent down. A couple of them were ten percent down. Things like that, right? Um, but you know now I, I don't see an issue with the twenty percent down. I, it's actually probably even better because there's no CMHC fees. So right. you know if you're if you're raising funds and stuff like that, it's 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 not a problem. You can still build a very successful portfolio. Uh, okay, so you, as we mentioned before, you are the author of the Ultimate Wealth Strategy: Your Complete Guide to Buying, Fixing, Refinancing, and Renting Real Estate. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you how this book came together for you? Well, Jeff, Quentin, and I we do very similar strategies, just in different areas. So we we kind of got together and we're talking about it and, and there's really not any type of information or education on the strategy out there. You know, most, most books are towards buy and hold or flip. Um, but this strategy is a little bit unique. So we thought that, um, it would be a wise decision to create the book. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got a book that is written as a story. So it's not uh, too hard to follow and it takes, you know, the, the characters are a couple. It takes them through starting off with smaller, easier properties and then working them all the way up to uh, even multifamily stuff on, uh, I think the one example is um, 17 units or something like that. And what it really does is it follows pretty much every step in the actual process that we use. So this is the stuff we do day to day. It even lists some of the materials you should be using how you should be setting up your mortgage, how to get your appraisal results higher, all those things. So it's um, it's not just because we wrote it, but I think it's very helpful for people who want to gain uh, a higher return on investment, but not sure not sure how to go about it using the strategy. They're going to be able to do it. And what is the strategy exactly? What is buy what is buy fix refi refi and rent? What what does so, that mean for the layman's out there? Okay, so when we say buy, obviously we're talking about purchasing a property. So what we're doing is we're purchasing something that's, you know, out there that's not too hard to find that needs mostly cosmetic, lipstick work, whatever you want to call it. So it would be things like maybe plumbing fixtures, a good paint job, uh, flooring, uh, windows, um, maybe yes, maybe no, but a lot of cosmetic things. So you try and take advantage of the poor visual state of the property, but hopefully it still has good structure as far as bones, right? So there's no foundation issues. Hopefully, you know, you don't need to do the roof plus the AC plus the furnace. And it, a lot of times you're doing this on single family homes. And a lot of times single family homes are sold to people who want to live in them. So they don't like those top, types of properties. So you want to buy those, Okay. Then what you want to do is you want to uh, fix them up. Okay, so you know we talked about trying to do it cost effectively, and you want to do that fairly quickly. And then we go to refi. So the great thing about the strategy is when you go and refinance, the bank is going to give you back a bunch of money that you pull out, and either you know you can put it back in your pocket, send it back to your joint venture partner use it to buy another property, but you still own the property and you still get the benefits of, if it doesn't cash flow, you shouldn't do it. So you get cash flow, you get mortgage pay down, and if you pick a decent area, you're going to get appreciation. Okay, And then to continue to be profitable, you have to rent it out. So instead of, you know, a lot of people, they, they do buy, fix, and sell it as a flip. We do buy, fix, refinance it, get our money, and then just put a tenant in to increase wealth and hold on to it. Yeah, and it's great. It's, it's really essentially a hybrid, right, of the fix and flip and buy and hold strategies. Uh, absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I think people would maybe get hung up on with that is the refinance part. Are, are you uh, generally, would, would your deals like that be someone paying all cash to begin with or would they be getting a short-term mortgage? How, how does that usually work out? What, uh, what we usually do is we get... Uh, 80% um, traditional financing, but we select an open mortgage. 
So because we know we're going to refinance anywhere from, say, four to 10, 12 weeks, we don't want to you know, lock into a fixed term because then we're going to have to pay penalties to break it. So we take the open mortgage. As soon as the renovations are done, we, we then uh, refinance and put it on a fixed term. And that really is the beauty of this. If you do it right, you're, you're getting into the property for, for a lot less than even the down payment would be on the initial purchase price. And you're coming out with the finished product. And that's really great. I, I think it works great. And the thing is, you know, we look for properties that we're going to get at least half our investment back. So if you keep doing that, that means you're going to have double the amount of properties that you would have doing a buy and hold. Exactly. Yeah, which is amazing. And like, I think there's not been, as you said, there really hasn't been a lot of published material on that strategy. So that's what I think is awesome is just that you guys are making that available to everyone. And, and obviously, we want to encourage everyone to grab that book because it's really, really great. And, and like you said, uh, it walks it through, walks people through pretty simply in a, this more of a story format, which is really good and important, I think, that, that people can grasp it in, a, in kind of a simplified manner. So I like that. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we want to make sure that it wasn't uh, too dry. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> just education obviously is a big part of this too. I know, I know you go to a lot of seminars and events and that, and, and I'm sure you read a lot of books on real estate strategies, different mindset things maybe. Is there maybe another book or anything that got you started in real estate? Well, there's, there's two books that I usually tell people to read. The first one would be for someone who's not necessarily in the mindset yet that they should be doing real estate investing, and that would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people know that book, um, and it really helps you uh, get in the right mindset to you know take the step to do real estate. And then for people who really haven't, done much real estate yet i always say they should be reading something like the uh the five-year action plan because a lot of times people think they just need to buy real estate but they don't necessarily know why right so if you actually have a plan ahead of time which i didn't so i know um it it'll help you get to where you want to be faster less stress and uh, overall be more successful and that's the name of the book, The Five-Year yeah, Action it's, it's, Plan? Yeah, it's Peter Kinch's Five-Year Action Plan. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Great. And you can get a great audiobook, just like one of the ones mentioned here for absolutely free when you go to breakthroughreipodcast.ca slash audible free trial. So, Andrew, where can people learn more about you? Uh, you can go to my website, which is uh, bpirealestate.ca. And then uh, there's a little bit of material on there about me and some of my past success stories with properties. And you can also get in touch with me through there. Where can people grab the book? Uh, it's on Amazon, actually. Yeah, that's right. So it's really simple. They can just go on Amazon, type in the ultimate the wealth strategy, and it should pop right up. Yep. Yep. Okay. And actually, there's a, there's a 1-800 number that you can call. It'll tell you a little bit about the book. It's right on the front cover. And... We did an interview with Jeff just recently, and we put that uh, recorded message on the end. And, well, hell, it's your book, too. So I think we'll do the, do the same thing at the end of this one. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you very much for agreeing to come tonight. This was really informational. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm of a different mind frame. So I still haven't gotten all the way through the book. I'm about halfway through it. But, uh, I, I mean, I've known about it for a while, like I said, ever since I took that course with you. And... I am excited to get going in this direction because I, I know just for, you know, from the, from the time I first heard about it, that this is the way to go. Well, I hope you enjoy it and I hope it helps. I know it's the strategy has been fantastic for me. So awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate you having you on. Andrew it was great. Some awesome it's my pleasure here. You're welcome. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.
I got, I have uh, seven purchases that in various stages that I'm working on. So <laughs> very, very stressful. Wow. Well, not stressful, but very demanding, I guess. Hi, I'm Jeff Woods, and I am the co-author of The Ultimate Wealth Strategy. If you have already bought the book, thank you for your support. You have made a wise investment. If not, let me explain why you need to buy this book right now. Well, there's a bunch of good real estate books on the market, and some are worth a read. We know that none of them will deliver the same valuable content as the ultimate wealth strategy. You see, between the three of us that wrote this book for you, we have read and tried just about every book and strategy you can think of. If you want a strategy that delivers long-term wealth creation and cash today to live your desired lifestyle, then you need to buy the Ultimate Wealth Strategy right now. You see, this book simply and clearly walks you step-by-step through each process of buying, fixing, refinancing, and renting real estate. In essence, it combines the best elements of flipping property with the best elements of buying and holding property. The Ultimate Wealth Strategy delivers the best of both worlds. Yes, with this real estate investment strategy, you can have your cake and eat it too. You may also be happy to know that each of us has created multi-million dollar real estate portfolios using this strategy. We have figured out how to avoid costly mistakes and maximize returns quickly. Why waste years of your valuable time figuring all of this information out on your own when you can leverage our experience? We do not just teach this highly guarded strategy to others. We do it every day. Invest in yourself. Invest in this book. Once you implement this strategy, your life will be positively impacted forever. And oh yeah, once you've bought the book and read it, we don't just leave you there to do it all on your own. This book reveals how you can get more education and even work one-on-one with us. Enjoy the book. We look forward to meeting you in person one day soon.